God, thank you for this chance that we've had to come before the throne of grace and holy communion. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, and uh, we thank you for the opportunity we have to reconnect with you and with one another. Thank you for communing with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some of you know that I have just gotten off of a, all of a, round, a second round of COVID and uh, want to tell you about a story that occurred in the midst of my COVID situation. It was uh, right after New Year's Eve, about the second. I was pretty sick still at this point. And um, well, there's something that I, I'm getting, I guess I should say this, I'm getting older, right? And so I needed a bigger computer screen. Some of you know what I'm talking about there. Uh, because for me to keep working, I need to be able to read what I'm doing clearly and not strain over the things on the screen. And, you know, I've played all the games, making it look bigger and all the things that you can do. But it just at some point, you need a bigger screen. That's where I was. And so even though I had a fever and I was sick and I was doing all those things, uh, I was looking for a new computer monitor. And um, as I was looking for a new computer monitor online, I saw what appeared to be the answer to all of my troubles. Uh, a giant uh, screen on sale, uh, highly recommended. And to see whether I wanted to get it or not, I, I, I had a little video. I said, you know, watch this video about the product. So I watched the video, and there was what appeared to be like a teenage girl, some kind of blogger or something. And she's sitting next to this little monitor, and it just doesn't seem that gigantic, but it seems big enough for what I want, right? Like something about like this uh, would be good for me. And so I'm sitting there, and I think, okay, it's like middle of the night, and it says sale ends January 2nd. So I, it's, it's that buy it now or don't buy it. So I click purchase, and I don't think anything else about it. Don't ask any more questions, which was fine until Tuesday of last week. And on Tuesday of last week, I get this delivery at my house. This package comes that's like almost as tall as me. And I open it up, and this monitor is the size of a car windshield. <laughs> it's enormous. <laughs> I never even took it out of the box. I just returned it. I was like, man, and it, it reminded me of something. You've you got to ask the right questions. So I had not asked the right questions about that product. And man, did it, it, it kind of surprised me. Well, of course, my son thought this would be great. He was begging me to keep it, obviously, but, but that wasn't what it was for. Well, asking the right questions matters, and one of the things that I think is a good thing for us to think about is and consider are the questions that Jesus asked, because you know what? Jesus actually was a tremendous asker of questions, and he did it over a hundred times in the gospel. He asked people questions to consider things, to think about things, and, and as he did so, uh, there was always something that was very profound that came out of the questions of Jesus. Now, the poor crowd here on Thursday night, I tried to subject them to 20 questions of Jesus. It was a little much. Uh, we went a little long. I'm not going to do that to you. I've, I've boiled it down today to seven questions, so you can be thankful to the Thursday night crowd who sat through a marathon. But we, we looked at the book of John, and this was what was so fascinating to me, that, that in the book of John, in every chapter... There are questions of Jesus, except for one chapter, the chapter where Jesus is praying to God. And that chapter begs, it begs a question, even though it doesn't ask one. Well, having said that, um, we're going to look at some of these questions that Jesus asked 
that I think are really important questions for us to not only hear, but to reflect what's my answer to his question. To imagine that, that not only was this a question that was asked of people long ago, but it's a question Jesus asks us still today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to kind of run through the book of John in seven different questions, not 21. And I want us to think about a couple of these questions. The first one is a great story, John chapter 1. And a lot happens in John 1. Jesus gets, uh, is baptized, John the Baptist shows up on the scene, and uh, the calling of Jesus' first disciples happens. But on this, uh, in verse 35, we pick up a story uh, after John the Baptist, the, the people who are following him have been uh, introduced to Jesus, um, two of his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, one of whom's name was Andrew, are standing there with John the Baptist when Jesus walks by. It says in verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, it's the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They started walking after him. And turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked them a question. And this was his question. He asked them the question, what do you want? It wasn't a question like, what do you want? It was a question like, what is it you're seeking? What is it you hope to find? What are you looking for? Um, this is really important. Right, Jesus could have had the mindset that he was looking for something. He was the one seeking. In fact, he came to seek and to save the lost. And his, his words uh, definitely could have been, as he called other, I want you to come with me. But the first occasion of the calling of any disciple, Jesus asked, what's important to you? <laughs> what is it that you want to do? What, what matters to you? Why are you doing what you're doing? What are you looking for? And it implied the question, have you found it? <laughs> what were you looking for in John the Baptist? You were following him, and now you're walking behind me. What are you looking for? What are you hoping for? What are you searching for? Those are questions that we have to ask. What am I seeking for? What is it that I'm trying to find? And have I found it? Of course, we know that Andrew will be a lifelong follower of Jesus. And uh, we'll even spend his life eventually for him. But it all started with Jesus asking Andrew what he wanted. And I think he starts there for us. What is it that you want? What is it that matters to you? There are a lot of other questions. We, we don't have time to get into the, the chapter 2, the turning of water into wine, when Jesus asked his mother, uh, why do you bother me or involve me? Uh, it's a good question. We, we don't, we're not going to get into John chapter 3 and the incredible story with Nicodemus, but I want to continue uh, and take it to John chapter 4, another great question. And John 4 is that story where Jesus is walking along, and as he walks along, he comes to the, with his disciples, he goes through Samaria, he comes to the well, and that famous story of the woman at the well. It says, this, as he went through Samaria, he came to a town called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired. He sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? It's an interesting question. 
The second question, if the first was what do you want, the second question is, are you willing to share what you have with me? That's interesting. We always think about faith as what we get out of it. Jesus, what are you going to give to me? But, but the question that's asked of this woman is, are you willing to share with me what you have? That's where Jesus begins this conversation with her. Are you willing to share water with me? Are you willing to share your pitcher, your rope, all those things? Are you willing to share with me? It sparks a fascinating uh, conversation, as you know, and, and I just want to point out something about how that conversation ends. It begins with Jesus asking her for water, asking what she is willing to do for him, and then it ends with her saying these words to Jesus, sir, give me this water, that's the living water Jesus talked about, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty, and I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. It began with him asking, what can you give to me? But it ended with her asking, what can you, Jesus, give me? And what, what can you offer to me? And I want what you have to offer. It's a question that is an important one for us to think about. Am I willing to share what I have with Jesus? I know I want him to share what he has with me, but am I willing to share what I have with him? There's a third, third question I want us to get to. It, it happens in the next chapter, in, in John chapter 5. And it's a story about a man who was there by the water, by the sheep gate in the pool called Bethsaida. Remember this story? John 5 tells us sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. There was in Jerusalem a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? That almost seems like an odd thing to ask someone who was there by the pool. Uh, do you really want to get well? But Jesus is asking an important question. Are you ready to change? Are you ready to change? Do you really want to change to come into your life or not? Uh, because things are about to change. Everything that this man's known, right, 38 years, he's known one way of life. And Jesus says, are you ready to change? Do you really want to get well? Do you want something to be different in your life? It's, a, it's another really important question. And I don't want you to miss this, that if you engage with Jesus and you allow him to come in your life, things are going to change. He's a change maker. <laughs> he brings change into circumstances. So Jesus honestly asked the man, are you willing? Are you willing and are you ready to change? Do you want to get well? Change is, is, is at hand how we respond. Now this man, having heard what Jesus asked, instead of understanding what Jesus can do, he continues to focus on his own plight. And he says, well, how can I change? How can I change? There's no one to help me change. No one can get me to the water. It says, I have no one to help me into the pool when it's stirred, because he believed that if you got in the pool first, you'd be healed. While I'm trying to get in, someone else always goes down ahead of me. So the man doesn't realize Who's asking the question, are you ready to change? 
there are a lot of things we can invest in that we can lean on that ultimately will fail us. Jesus is not one of those things. If he invites us into a conversation with him and he asks us the question, you ready to change? He, he, he can accomplish what he says and he proved it. Jesus said to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at, at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. <laughs> Are you ready uh, to change? There's another question that, that begins to become kind of serious for those who have said yes to those first ones. Yes, Jesus, I want, I want to follow you. Yes, Jesus, I, I want to share what I have with you and I want you to share what you have with me. Yes, yes Jesus, I'm ready for you to change my life. Well, then that brings us to a, another kind of a moment. It happened in John chapter six where Jesus asked yet another important question. Now, John six is the story. Most of you probably heard two chapters out of John first growing up. John 3.16 and Nicodemus in this story in John 6, the feeding of the 5,000. You heard a lot about that. The way John 6 ends, though, is not with the happy story about a bunch of people that wanted to follow Jesus. Quite the opposite. Uh, John 6 ends with the people getting perturbed with something that Jesus has said. Because Jesus has said something hard. While Jesus is the people have been following him. They want him to keep giving them bread and fish every day. And why wouldn't you? Who doesn't want to have a fish fry every day of your life, right? That's a good thing. But uh, that wasn't what Jesus was about. That wasn't what the miracle was about. But that's what they wanted. Keep doing cool stuff for us, Jesus. We really like it when you do cool stuff for us. Not understanding that Jesus was looking for people who would do cool stuff for God. And so he says to him, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. That's rather dark for some people to understand. And they didn't. They were offended by what Jesus had said. And so on hearing it, we read in that ominous, it's so ominous, that this is the, the verse of the Bible this is in. In John 6, 6, 6, we read the words, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's the occasion of John 6, the great falling away. Thousands upon thousands of people who had been curious about Jesus just turned their back on him and walk away from him. <laughs> the things he says are too hard. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be a part of that. That's just too much. What's all that blood-drinking and flesh-eating stuff. That's just too much for me. They didn't understand what Jesus was really talking about. He turned to his disciples in verse 67, and he asked them that hard question. He says, do you want to leave me too? Are you going to leave Are you going to follow the crowd when thousands upon thousands walk away from me, or are you going to stay with me even though what I'm telling you is hard to accept? This past week, we had a chance to play in a basketball game, and in an important game, we lost. It's okay. It's, it happens in life. When it was over, I was reminded of something, and I shared with my players, you know, it's really easy to be a good sport when you win, 
Not so easy when you're losing. <laughs> Not so easy when the tide goes against you. The same kind of thing is happening here. Are you willing to stick with me, Jesus says, even when things are going bad? Even when things are hard? Because that thing about flesh and blood, that was a reference to the hard things that were coming. It was a foreshadowing, if you will, of the cross and of the sacrifice for our sins, which, by the way, already today we've remembered and we've fulfilled what Jesus talked about in remembering the blood and the body of Jesus and participating in communion. We've already said we want to be a part of you still, Jesus. Jesus asked that question of his disciples and, and the response uh, that they gave was powerful, right? Peter's response was, well, Lord, to whom would we go? <laughs> you have the words of life. <laughs> You're the one we want to follow. Will you stay with Jesus or follow the crowd? The crowd of public opinion was turning against Jesus. The rest of the chapters of the book of John paint Jesus not in the position of the happy person who's out there uh, enjoying the masses, but Jesus as the, the leader that is under constant pressure. And there's a growing movement to kill him. And the rest of the book of John is, is a challenge. It's not easy. People who followed Jesus began to pay a heavy price. By John chapter 9, there's the story of the blind man. He was the man that Jesus healed of his blindness. But the man didn't know who Jesus was. He, didn't, he wasn't a Christ follower. He just knew he had been healed. And, and, and the leaders that were out to get Jesus in John chapter 9 are pretty upset that Jesus has done this miracle. And so they call this man in and they really give him the business. They, they work him over pretty good, you know, like, what's your association with Jesus, and how did you get your sight back, and all these questions, and, well, it doesn't end very well. In fact, it ends with them throwing him out of their local synagogue, which we've said in a previous sermon last year, that's a big deal. Uh, in that culture, the synagogue was the gathering place of the whole community, and so to get kicked out of the synagogue was, in essence, to be kicked out of the community. It was a big deal. And because of his association with Jesus, even though Jesus had just healed him of his blindness, he gets kicked out. Verse 35 says to, that Jesus had heard they had thrown the man out. And Jesus went and found him. And he asked him one of life's most important questions. He says to the man who was blind but could now see, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe? I love the man's response. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him, which was important, right? He now sees him face to face. In fact, he is the one who is speaking to you. And the man looking at Jesus, knowing that Jesus had healed him, said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. I love that story. It, it, it is an important question. Do I believe that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, 
the promised one. Do I believe? That, the answer to that question, well, it will change eternity. John chapter 19 is, is one of the chapters that begs a question. It's not so much that Jesus asks a question here, but it begs a question of us. In John 19, a lot of things have gone wrong. Jesus has been on trial. He's headed to the cross. Peter, as he was watching the trial, has denied Jesus three times. The disciples, except for John, have fallen away, and they're not with him at the cross. A lot of things have gone wrong. It looks like this is the moment that everything falls apart. And it begs a question. As we get to the end of John chapter 19, we read these words. It says, as Jesus is on the cross, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in the vinegar, and they put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. And after he had received that drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. When Jesus said the words, it is finished, he was saying, this is enough. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is what Jesus did on the cross enough to forgive my sins, to forgive your sins? Was it enough? Was it a, a full enough punishment? I mean, it doesn't seem like we would deserve it. Someone else taking the sin punishment that we deserve Jesus spoke those words, not just that he was ending his life, but that his work was finished. It was enough. The task that he had been sent to earth for was complete. He had died in our place. It was enough. You'll have to ask that question. Do I believe that Jesus' sacrifice for me was enough? That's the question that Peter had to answer. The last of the questions are given to him. It's interesting that this is how the book ends with three questions of Jesus, of one of his most faithful followers, Peter. You know these questions. And it's the question Jesus didn't just ask him. It's the question that he asks you and me today. John 21 has, bring, has brought us to the very end of the Jesus story. Jesus has died on the cross. He has risen from the grave. He's appeared to many. But in John 21, Peter's not out there preaching to the masses about Jesus. He's gone back to that boat. Remember Peter had said the words, I left everything to follow you. And in John 21, he's gone back to the things he had left. 
and the life he used to know. It's an important moment. So important that Jesus, one of his last appearances on the earth before the transfiguration is this, this moment. Jesus seeks out the disciples, specifically Peter. Because you know what? Peter's, I think, not in a good place. Maybe you're not in a good place today. And Peter was struggling. The cross had happened, but it didn't stop his pain. It hadn't stopped his hurt. And it certainly hadn't calmed his mind. So Jesus makes it a point to seek out Peter. They bring the boats back on the shore. They eat some fish together that Jesus had cooked. And Jesus then turns to Peter. Says when they had finished eating in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Wow, that's a question. What was he talking to him about? Do you love me more than these other people? Maybe. Do you love me more than this old career that you used to have? Do you love me more than everything else? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said a second time, right? And he's going to ask him three times because Peter had denied Jesus three times, not because Jesus is cruel. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. A third time, Simon, the son of John, uh, he was at, Simon was asked by Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you, do you really love me? And this time Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Let me say this to you. Sometime the path, sometimes the path to healing still hurts. That's a hard truth, isn't it? Peter was hurt. Jesus is trying to heal him, but it hurt him. <laughs> It hurt his feelings, it, it hurt his sense of identity, it, it, it wounded him in a way. It's fascinating, the idea of, that Jesus is a wounded healer, that by his wounds we're healed, and, and yet we don't always like the idea that it might hurt for me to get where God wants me to get. But that's what's happening in the story. Not out of hate and no willingness to harm but understanding the path to healing. You know what this is like. Who among us hasn't, as a child, fallen down and scraped our knee and hurt ourselves, and then have to have the wound cleaned out? That is not a fun day. Thank God they got rid of that pink stuff they used to put on your leg, that methylate. Oh, that was terrible. Well, this is Peter before Jesus. Jesus is doing the hard work in Peter, and it's not easy. And so he asked him that third time, do you love me? And Peter, of course, said, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. And Jesus then commissions him to feed his sheep and to follow him. These are big questions. These are big questions. Is is Jesus the most important thing in your life or something else? 
These are big questions. Am I letting something else become a higher priority in my life than my Savior? Big questions. It'd be one thing if these were questions that just made you think and they didn't have any real bearing on anything, but they do. I mean, the way we answer these questions, well, it's a matter of eternity. It matters. How do you answer those questions of Jesus today? If you're here and you've never accepted him, you need to answer his call because he is calling to you. He is asking you to follow him. And you'll have to decide how to respond. But for the vast majority of us in this room, as we hear those questions, it might challenge us, but we've already said in our words, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. And yet I think that we're not so unlike Peter because all of us along the way have still fallen short and we've, we've, we haven't always been what we need to be and maybe that's even where we are now. And, and so maybe the question for us today is, okay, what needs to change in me so that I can once again be in a right relationship with God? Maybe there's some other question the Holy Spirit's put on your heart this morning. Would you be faithful to the, follow, to the leading of the Holy Spirit as we stand and as we sing our hymn of invitation?